Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks Podcast. This is actually my first recording of the property aspect of my podcast, so this is kind of the uh, maiden voyage. So yeah, th- thanks again. Yeah, no problem. It's great. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So I think, you know, what's really interesting to know is kind of your story, your career, maybe a bit of your personal life before property. So what what were you doing before you kind of got into property? Yeah, so I, I kind of jumped to and from a lot of different things. Because, um, I was kind of I mean, going through school. I never really liked it, never really got on with it. So I was looking forward to getting a job as soon as possible. Um, left school, got a good IT job which I kind of fell into um, very well so that was very good and alongside that I used to do in my own time um, I was big into the gym and stuff like that and um, started competing in powerlifting and I became a world champion powerlifter in that Wow! which yeah it, it was great in terms of it let me meet a lot of people from different countries and stuff which which even helps in, in future and property and stuff because there was a lot of them who I've been doing this for years and had different businesses and things that I could pick their minds of. And even now today, I still speak to a few of them. Mm. Um, so that was, it was quite handy. And also it just helps with the uh, aspect of getting you more known and things. So that helps. So from there, I then got injured, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, I tore a ligament in my left knee. Ouch. Um, which kind of put me out for a while. Um, and... I've always been interested in business, so started looking into more businesses. And it, from my IT job, I've been saving as much as I could so that I could get into something and decided to do a Papa John's franchise, mm. which was interesting. A bit completely different to IT that I'd previously yeah. done, so um, that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> um, did that, that went really well done that for three years and then we got an offer on it that was really just too good to refuse Hmm. so accepted that and then from there I opened up a payroll company with my dad who is a qualified accountant and we decided that with my IT experience and his his accounting experience we could set up a pretty good payroll company and a lot of automation and a profitable business and that's up until property, that is what I did and effectively where I've come from. Wow, very interesting. And so for the kind of fellow gym goers that I know are listening to the podcast, to be a world champion, what were you lifting in what um, lift? So, I, so at the time I was a junior, um, mm-hmm. so not comparable obviously to anybody who's listening that's probably over the age of 22, 23. But, <laughs> um so what you do in powerlifting, you do three exercises, which is your deadlift, your squat, and your bench. Mm-hmm. Um, the bench I was struggled on that was pretty poor for me, and that was uh, 165 kilos. Wow, um, that was my best lift. <laughs> uh, but like my my strength was always in the lower part of my body. So mine was my legs and my back, which was the deadlift and squats. So my deadlift was 285, was the best I recorded. And then the squat was 265, which I got a European record in. Wow. So. That is that is very heavy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a, 
at the, at the time I didn't think much of it because I was pretty strong when I went in. I didn't mm. go in thinking I was going to do this. It was somebody in the gym who I was lifting next to and I was lifting more weight than he was and he came over and said, well, I compete, so uh, you should. <laughs> and I mean, that was I, effectively how it started. I don't even know what those numbers look like with plates. Like I've never even like seen that. So that's that's incredible. And so I guess from that, you've obviously kind of developed a, a work ethic that is you know, going to support you through life, right? In terms of yeah. not giving up, pushing through, pushing through physical pain, pushing through all sorts of mental challenges, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, it's like anything. It's to, to do well in it, you've got to be consistent, you've got to be dedicated, and you've got to have focus. That's, that's probably one of the biggest parts of it. Mm. Uh, you've got to have your eye on where you want to get to, yeah. whether, that, whether that's in a year's time, three years' time, five years' time. It's it's all about having them future goals as such, and the dedication it takes to eat the right things all the time, and mm. and not go out with your friends at the time, and things like that. It, yeah. it it did then the correlation between that and business is actually a lot stronger than I imagined, and yeah, it's helped me. And like I say, it's like anything. You've there was things that would go wrong, but then there was things that go right, and that's exactly the same in business. And it was a good preparation for it almost. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can I can see parallels with that and, and having my own business and people I've heard of in property starting their businesses. It's it, it's very kind of similar. And so, you know, at the end of that story, you finished off in your payroll company with your dad. So what was your kind of moment or, or moments that sort of led you to discover property? And then what sort of made you want to get into property instead of kind of payroll or go back to IT or do anything else? Yeah, well... So, I mean, I've always liked business. Um, so, growing up, you always, if, if you like business, property generally comes up from time to time. Um, and at the time of when I was growing up, you were hearing a lot of these people who had become millionaires from the property that they owned. Um, people who had bought in, in the 80s for 300% less <laughs> than, than what it was in the early 2000s or something, yeah. And they were becoming a big property company. And the more and more I looked into it, the more I got intrigued about it. And then it was the story about McDonald's that really kind of got to me. Um, it was the, if you've if you read the books or anything, or I think there was a movie released in it as well, where they found out pretty early on that they were actually more of a property business than they were a food business, mm. which, sound, which sounds very strange to some. Yeah. Uh, but they made especially to begin with, they made most of their money in property because they would buy the land that all the restaurants would then lease from them. So when they were franchising out, the franchisees were paying McDonald's for the land that they had the restaurants on. And that was effectively where most of their profit came from. That's very smart. Very smart of them. I've, I've definitely heard that or, or read of it somewhere for sure. Yeah, and it's, uh, it, was, it was stories like that that just got me more intrigued and I just started reading every single thing I could at the time I wish I wish podcasts were available at that time that would have been that would have been an amazing help anybody who's just starting now has got probably 10 steps forwards on what I had at the time yeah um so I had to read books um I had to go onto Google and just search for any kind of free content I could um and then from there I'd go and do a few courses as well and it just led from there really Wow. Okay. And then, so like 
talk us through your first deal. So what was it? Where was it? And then if you if you could top it off with sort of the figures from purchase price, you know, refurb, refinance, all, all those kind of costs, that would be yeah. amazing. Yeah, no worries. So my first deal originally started out as I was I was 18 and I went looking for a house for myself. Hmm. Um, so I went around looking at all these houses, eventually found one that I liked. The market value of the house was about 80000 at the time. Mm-hmm. I managed to secure it. It had been on the market for about 18 months. Wow. And I managed to secure it for 60000 Nice. Um, so it was a considerable, it was 25% lower than what it was on the market for. Hmm. It did need a bit of sprucing up. The kitchen um, looked like your grandma's kitchen that had never been changed <laughs> since the, the 60s or something. But wow. but so all I did basically was put a new kitchen in, um, which I did myself because I was quite handy with that kind of stuff. Hmm. Put a new kitchen in um, and then just some carpets throughout, some paint throughout, and then decided, actually, I don't know why I'm moving out at 18. I've probably got it better at home where I can save more money mm-hmm. and and decided to to rent it out as a as a buy to let, um, and so in total it cost me the deposit at the time, which was a five percent deposit. <laughs> so uh, the the deposit cost me three thousand uh, <laughs> pounds. Wow. On a on a property, and then the four thousand pound renovation. So I spent seven thousand pounds on this property, and then I got it revalued and remortgaged, and once they'd taken their once they'd taken all the fees off and stuff like that, it it meant that the only cost to me was actually just the four thousand pound renovation, because they revalued it at eighty thousand. So ah. I I paid four thousand pounds for this property that was now getting me three hundred and eighty pounds per month. <laughs> wow. Um, which at eighteen I felt like I was on top of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would. And whereabouts was this? Um, so this was this was in Carlisle, ah, okay. uh, and it was a it was a two bedroom terrace property that was that was up, and it was yeah it was good it did me well. Wow, and so that being your first deal, you got a nice kind of glimpse into the world of property and how you know straightforward and easy it can be. How how many sort of properties do you own right now? Um, so right now I have. Four properties. Um, one's just we're just selling one of them at the minute um, to raise some capital uh, for a. It's for the payroll business that I've got. We're raising some capital to expand that slightly. So I'm selling one of the properties, probably the least profitable property. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so okay. that's going to leave me with three more three properties left after that. And so. In a kind of similar vein to the, to your first deal, tell me about your latest deal that you've worked on. So the the very latest one I did um, was oh, it's very recent, and it was a block of it was basically a block of offices in the town centre. Hmm. Um, I say the town centre, about half a half of a quarter to a half a mile out of the town centre. Okay. And it and it was a three story plus a basement block of offices. Hmm. The market value at the time for it was two hundred and twenty thousand, mm-hmm. and it was owned by a solicitor's, or it was a solicitor's, the the owner of which had deceased, and 
basically the family was just selling off the property because hmm. it was owned by them. Now there was extensive work that needed done in this office. It was it had been sat empty for probably a good five or six years. It wasn't on the market for that long, hmm. but it sat it sat empty for that long. Um, and they were paying rates on it and stuff like that. So I went hmm. in, had a look, um, had a look at what I thought the renovation cost would be, and managed to secure it for one hundred and sixty-two and a half thousand. Wow! Uh, which I was very shocked at because they had it was marketed as offers over two hundred and ten thousand. <laughs> um, so I was shocked myself that they accepted it, but I just wasn't going to do it for any more than that because of the amount of renovations I knew that had to go into it. So from there on, we put, we renovated it. It cost just short of twenty four thousand. It was about twenty three thousand eight hundred in the okay. renovations. Like same as last time, I did a lot of it myself because I'm I like to be quite hands on in the process. Mm-hmm. And then what we did with that is we turned the we re- basically left the two offices, the first and second floor as offices. We just recarpeted, repainted. Um, did some work to the windows because there were wooden windows that were rotting a little bit. Um, and then the ground floor we turned into a shop, into a retail premises. Ah. Um, and the building has just been revalued three months ago at £254,000. <laughs> wow. So, what an, yes. I mean, what a deal, like, for... Yeah. So, I mean, that's £92,000 higher than what we purchased it for. And, so, and that, and I think, sorry to interrupt, I think that highlights yeah. something like really important because you, you said I got it for 160 but I, I, you, you were shocked that you got it for this much. But if you kind of beforehand saw that it said, oh, offers over 210 you, and you thought, oh, well, that's what it says, that's what they're going to accept, you know, I might as well not bother you yeah, wouldn't have had this amazing deal but if you don't ask you don't get right and you just you just proved that for everyone yeah absolutely and i think that's i think on the face of it that's where a lot of people don't progress is because they see that that this it's been put up for so much money but unless you know the circumstances in which the sellers are selling the the property or the building for even the business even if it comes to business or even cars it all comes down to the circumstances behind the seller. Some of them just want rid. They're not bothered if they make a profit or not. The reason, often, the reason to why it's been put on for so much money is because the the estate agent or the, the people who are selling it for a commission want the biggest commission possible. Yeah. So they advise to try and put it on for more money because they get, a, or so at least some of them get a percentage cutting in commission. Yeah. So the more the more it goes for, the bigger their commission. Whereas sometimes the seller just, like I say, wants their, their hands wiped of it. This family who who owned this, this block of buildings, like I say, have owned it for five, six years paying paying rates on it. And as we know recently, the rates have just been going up and up and up. Mm. Um, so this, this building was costing them. Um, they couldn't get anybody to rent it out because it was in such a state. So that's why they sold it for, for a lot lower because... They probably, to be honest, I, I don't know what they originally bought it for. It never actually came up, but they probably bought it twenty years ago for, for half the amount I paid for it. So, yeah, I and imagine I... they've they've probably made on the capital appreciation. So it's not even a case of that I've won and they've lost. Mm. It, it was very much a win-win. Yeah, and I think again that highlights another kind of important thing 
when it comes to buying properties and aiming to get them BMV one, you should all, you should always aim for a win-win just in an ethical business. But secondly, you obviously took the time to understand their situation, why they were selling it, what had happened, and do your research, which meant that you got this cracking deal. But if someone just walked in and, and didn't spend that time and just said, yep, 160, you know, or 108, you know, would it have worked the same? Probably not. Um, I think that's quite a nice tip for, you know, people like myself who are new in property investment is, you know, take that little bit of extra time to understand the vendor's motivations because it's going to benefit us and them in, in the long run. Um, and, and out of interest, so I'm a London boy. If there's an empty retail space in London, it will get rented out. There's always someone to take it. But in Carlisle, how how is the commercial aspect of this building? How's it gone or how's it going? Have you rented the shop out? And like, what kind of rental does the whole unit bring in? Yeah, so obviously, I mean, London's great for retail. Everybody wants to be there, so it gets snapped up. Hmm. Carlisle very much was not, not obviously similar. It's a tiny, tiny city in comparison, but... The retail used to be very good, and recently, as rents, labour, and everything have gone up, it has started to now come off. We've we've just been looking that um, out of the four top estate agent or commercial estate agents in Carlisle, they have about sixty to sixty-five retail properties up for let currently at the minute. Wow! And it's it is very much at the minute a buyer's market when it comes to retail in Carlisle. Uh, because we're a city that we don't really have many of the the head offices and such. Mm. Um, in in London, you've got you've got very original one man band businesses who will open up and take a shop. Yeah. In Carlisle, we've mainly just got chains. Mm-hmm. So when you go down the high street, it, there's not your quirky, unique shops. It's just chain after chain, really. Mm. So when you get people like your Marks and Spencer, I mean, the Marks and Spencer haven't done it yet, but. When these type of people announce they're closing 25 stores, quite a lot of the time when you look, Carlisle is generally one of them just because the rates and rent compared to the amount that they're probably bringing in in a, in a city that has a 100,000 population <laughs> just doesn't pay for itself. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, we, we, we got, I don't know if you want to say lucky or, or, or what, but we got very lucky with our shop um, in the fact we rented it out so we now get a thousand pound a month in rent. Um, oh, it's thousand pound plus fat as it turns out, um, because it goes through the business. So we get a thousand pounds plus fat a month for our for our, the shop downstairs, and they've signed a fifteen year lease. Wow! So that's gonna well and truly sort us out. And then the offices above, as it happens. Is a, is no another win for me because that's now where I hold my payroll business <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the two floors above. So it's not only do I not have to pay rent for my payroll business now, the shop below actually pays for all the costs of the building. So it's very much a win in that aspect. Wow, that is a real kind of everything covered sort of thing with one with one deal. Wow. Okay, and so you know that's very different to what your first sort of standard single let buy to let was so do you have like a a kind of fixed strategy or are you just looking for good deals in whatever aspect of sort of property investment they may they may be and what's your kind of approach so i'm very much of a believer of you you touched on it earlier is that you should have the knowledge or the research of whatever you're doing 
So there are aspects of property that I won't really look at doing just because I'm I don't have the knowledge on it. If if it was a potential property that we, I could JV on with somebody, and they had the knowledge, then then I would probably look at it. Um, but I only look at the ones I know. So a lot of mine tend to be either you get the flip aspect of them. Um, I've done a few of them. Um, you've got the, the BRR. Um, that's what that's what probably my favourite one. And at the minute, I'm just looking on a, one of my latest deals that I'm looking at is a HMO I'm looking to convert a property into a HMO from a three-bedroom property into a five-bedroom HMO. Wow. Um, so I look at I look at a lot of different ones. I just basically look for for the deal and where where I can make money and where I can add value. Yeah. And then it's basically if I've got the right knowledge and I can get the right research, then I'll go for it. Okay, great. And for you, what what makes a good deal? I know you're kind of working on a range of things, so it's not one specific answer. But in general, are there like a few things you check off as, yep, this is kind of top level what I need for this to potentially be a good deal for me? Yeah, I mean, like you just said, it depends on necessarily the strategy I'm going for. If we take the BRR model, for instance, then one of the biggest things I'm looking at is the market value compared to where my purchase price is going to be. Hmm. Um, because that's really going to be what I'm going to be paying in the future. If I can get, If I can get a property that's over 25% BMV, then we're talking potentially I can get this property, depending on the renovation cost, almost for nothing in the end uh, because we'll put the deposit down, we'll renovate it, and then re- re- get it revalued and remortgaged and pull our money out. And that, that's that's really my favorite type if you can get hold of them. Um, so that is a big one for me is that it's looking at the BMV value if you're looking at BRR. And that's purely, like I said, just because then you can own a property. I mean, one of my deals, I think it was my second deal I got, is that I bought it and then because of the renovations and stuff it needed, they were selling it for about 40, it was about 42% BMV, I think it ended up being. Wow. And it, it just needed, it almost needed stripped back to just the shell of the house, mm. uh, which we did and then we did it all. And then we got it revalued. And in that time, there was a property nearby that sold. And it sold for a lot more than than what we thought the value of the house was. So it actually pushed our house value up by about £10,000 or so. Mm. So when I actually came to remortgaging it, not only did I get all my renovation costs and my deposit back, I actually got a further, I think it was about £11,000 back. <laughs> wow. So, so I bought this property that not only has technically cost me nothing down, but it's actually given me eleven grand back as well. Wow! So, I mean, that, if if there's any of them deals about, I'll snap anybody's hands off. <laughs> and how? <laughs> and I think something that I was taught, which I then later learned is not as easy, is this whole free houses thing, which is what you've just said you've done. Now, how common? Are these are you in Carlisle anyway? Where you kind of focus? How common is it to find deals where actually you can get all your money back out and a bit of profit? Is it more often than not, or is it actually quite rare for you? Um, 
I mean, it, it varies. I mean, much like the property game, if you, if you hear a lot of the people who generally know what they're doing in property will tell you that you can go and look at 20 houses and not find a single deal. And then you can look at the next five and find all five fit the bill. Yeah. So it, it's quite hard to say, to be honest. Sometimes, like, sometimes I can almost find three in one month and then others I can go six months and not find a single one of these of these type of deals. Um, but they're always out there. And like I say, it comes down to the the sellers and just what situation they're currently in. Um, it, just looking at the prices on an estate agent's website, you might not find these deals because if you look at the price and go, oh, well, they're not they're not BMV. Yeah. But unless you know their situation, I mean, like I just said with the property before, I mean, we we took it, we got almost fifty thousand pounds below what it was advertised on. Mm-hmm. On the estate agents for so it's one of them where you really got to find a property that that you think is going to fit yeah. go and do a viewing get used to doing viewings um, become as friendly with the estate agents as you can and a lot of the time estate agents know the situations that the people are in so they can give you a heads up in this as well mm. so they, they can say this person needs a really quick sale or something and if they tell you that you can go and find out why and and potentially get a great deal so I would say yeah. they're always out there. Um, I often think that the people that say that there's no deals out there and no money to be had, it's, it's probably either out of jealousy that they're not finding them <laughs> um, uh, or they're just not looking for the right things. Yeah, that's fair enough. And and a question that I think a lot of new property investors and, and even me myself will, will be kind of asking is, where do you source your deals from? So I've obviously heard that you you know, use estate agents? Do you use any deal sources? Do you do any direct to vendor marketing? Or like, is it, what's your kind of approach to, to getting these deals in? So, I mean, I know I should do more, uh, but most of mine has been through probably 95% or even 99% of my deals. I think I've only had one that hasn't been through an estate agent. Okay. Uh, I, li- I like the relationship with an estate agent. So I like going around there and even taking a pack of biscuits, just having a sit-down chat every so often. Yeah. Um, because like I say, they've got a wealth of knowledge that, that they've got off the seller. So a lot of the questions they ask fills a lot of your boxes, and you know from the conversation with them where you're going to go. And there's even times where, I mean, one of the properties we've we bought from his agents didn't even get onto the market before we, before we bought it. They said, we've got this property coming up. Um, the person's in an hour in about it because they're not sure about fees and selling prices and stuff like this. Um, if we if we get them to give you a call, do you want to arrange a meeting and go from there? And I said, yeah, let's let's do it because the numbers looked like they were going to fit. Hmm. Um, and we ended up purchasing that property. Nice. So, I mean, if you can do that, you, if your relationship is good enough, you can get deals that nobody else is even going to see. Um, yeah. So I mean that is a that is a massive weight, but I know I should do others. I know direct to vendors is a very good one, um, especially when it comes to circumstances and situations, because a lot of people won't sell because they're neither nervous to or they're worried about fees from estate agents. They're worried about estate agents not treating them the way they want to be treated. So sometimes direct to vendor is is almost a, a way of cutting that out and you can get an even better price. Um, I've heard of a lot of success stories and 
it is something I, I probably should look at doing. It's one of them where um, it's finding the time. A lot of hmm. a lot of my focus has been either in the future deals I've already found or in my payroll business currently. So um, yeah. it is something I should do, and I know it doesn't take long. It's probably more an excuse on my part, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, in, and same with sourcing deals. Sourcing deals can be very good. That's a win-win because the person who sourced the deal gets a fee, so mm. they, they they come off well from it, and then they provide you with deals that you might not have found yourself. So I, I'm a fan of it. I haven't used it, but I am a, I am a fan of it. Okay, cool. And I'm I'm going to touch on um, the relationships with estate agents at the in the end of the podcast when I ask you some quickfire questions. So we'll, we'll yeah, come nice. back to that. Um, and so when it comes to these deals, so we know how you source them. How do you finance them i mean i'm guessing because you're getting so much money out it's your own money are you looking for investors at the moment what's your kind of financial situation when it comes to buying these properties so i mean like like many people when they first start out i originally thought that everything had to be your own money Hmm. um the amount of times i told myself the the common excuse of of oh i can't get into property because i just don't have the money i just don't have this i don't have that but it is really just an excuse. There is, there is so much out there to be explored that it's amazing. So I mean, like I said, my first two deals, they were funded by myself, be- purely because at the time that's that's how I thought that most of it had to go. Um, but then, at that time, my business was taking off a bit more, so I was putting more of my capital into my business. Um, so it wasn't a case that I didn't have the money to invest, but I just needed it elsewhere. So I decided, right, now's the time and I need to look for how to finance other deals. And that's really when I came over progressive, to be honest, hmm. um, because they were going on about, I mean, you, you hear Rob Moore's story. He goes on about JV and investment and no money down strategies. And it had me hooked at that point. And that's when I started looking into it and realizing that you can, ha- you can have a property portfolio with almost without putting a single penny in. Yeah. Um, so how do I finance deals? Most of them have been, well, a chunk of them have been myself, but then, like I said, others have been investors, um, and JVs and how you find them is a very interesting, very interesting topic. A lot of people ask you that question. It's, it's how did you find your investment partner? How did you find this JV? Hmm. The real answer is you can find them anywhere. I mean, it, it, it sounds almost silly, but uh, I've heard of people who have done deals with people who they've met in the gym. Yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah, they've run into someone in the gym, and it turns out this person in the gym's got a load of money in the bank but doesn't know what to do with it. Uh, if you can provide – it's all about added value. And if you can provide the value of knowledge and the value of finding the deals mm-hmm. – then finding the money generally isn't as hard as what people think because mm. if someone's got money in the bank i mean it's very popular down in london there's a lot of people in london who are on who get are on jobs that get them 200 300,000 pounds a year yeah and a lot of them it's a, a lot of it's i think i met a stockbroker down there once and he was saying that he earns more money than what he spends because he spends so much time at work and so much, so much time doing research and analysis mm. that he doesn't actually spend most of his money. Wow. And he says, 
he would actually love somewhere to put his money because at the minute he's getting point naught naught whatever percent in a bank. Yeah. Um, so they're the type of people that if you can say, look, I can provide you ten percent on this, they'll snap your hand off. And and there's plenty of them out there, especially in London, especially down south. You've got it a little bit harder if you're up here, but but with the internet and Facebook groups and stuff the way they are now, you can almost reach anywhere and anybody. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, and and as a. Uh... As Peter Jones from Progressive says, everyone in London's a millionaire. So there's um, yeah. plenty of plenty of money thrown about. And I think, you know, you raise an interesting point again of, you know, these people are everywhere um, and anywhere. But I think, you know, they're never going to know that you have this on offer. And you're never going to know they have that money unless you say, I'm a property investor. I do this. I give people, te- you know, 10% of my return. So it's, and again, it's something Progressive says, like tell everyone in three foot of you what you do. Um, absolutely yeah and it's funny there's a there's a guy called josh asquith who i'm going to get on the show as well he lives in bolton he um started going to more expensive bars and changed his gym to a more expensive gym and he found people to invest in him with a lot of money literally just by being friendly and and talking to people in the gym so you know as mundane of a a place that it is there's clearly money in the gym right (laughs) absolutely and it's yeah, I mean, the, there's money everywhere, and it's just it's just about are you putting yourself in the right areas? Um, there's no point in going to areas that economically are struggling if you're trying to find in big sums of money. So, I mean, it's a common one that they often say is if you go in on a business trip or on holiday, if you fly first class, there's a higher percentage chance that the people who are sitting next to you are going to have money. It's obviously not a. It's not always a thing because um, you might find that everybody adopts this, and you end up sitting next to somebody who went there looking for money. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You might you might get unlucky, but the, but the higher there's a higher chance of it yeah. than if you were to sit in an economy seat. Absolutely. And I've I've heard a few deals that have happened this way where people have spent a thousand pound on a on a plane ticket to Spain. That's it's a three hour journey in the air and. And they're worried about, oh, I've just spent all this money. But then they've sat next to someone who they've swapped business cards with and ended up doing five deals in property later on. Wow. Um, and that £1,000 has now been the best £1,000they've ever spent. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. it is all about – it's about selling yourself. And that's that's what it is at the end of the day. And a lot of people get mixed up. And this is a, this is a common conversation I have with a lot of people when they're talking about investors and JV partners is a lot of people – try and go to these people with money who they've never met before they've never introduced themselves and go I've got this deal give me this <laughs> yep and I always say put put the shoe on the other foot and it's if you had £500,000 in the bank and someone came and asked you for £100,000 just straight away that was their first question what's, yeah. what's your answer going to be it's going to be no yeah whereas if it, you'd struck up a conversation you built a bit of a relationship and then you said you know what I've got this deal you might be interested you might not they're a lot more willing to listen to what you've got to show. And and that's a lot of the time, that's what I say is where a lot of people go wrong is that they straight away just go that they want money. Yes. And no stranger is just going to randomly give out money. I say no, very little strangers are going to randomly give out money. Yeah. I think um, it's, yeah. Um, and that's something I think that comes from like kind of 
basic modern sales techniques, like any sort of book um, on sales, Dan Pink, Richard Denny, whatever, will always say it's, it's about the power of relationships. Um, and so completely agree with you. Like it's, you know, from having my own recruitment business, you know, when you're cold calling people, it's all about building some sort of relationship. And I think social media has a huge part in marketing to play in building that relationship with lots of people through one piece of content. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, there's always legislations changing. There's always mortgage lenders being stupid, doing this, doing that. There's always so much changing in the kind of world of property. And there's always naysayers and lovers and haters and all sorts. But, you know, from your kind of perspective, really briefly, what, you know, where do you think, and this is a hugely kind of broad question, um, <laughs> where do you think the property market is heading? And again, there's, you can answer that in whichever way you want. Yeah, I mean, keeping that brief is probably going to be as hard as any. Um, <laughs> so, like I think I said it earlier on, is that a lot of people who say that there's no deals to be had out there, it's just an excuse. They're always, there is always going to be money and property deals to be had out there. It just, they might be a slightly different strategy to what you know currently. So you might have to change your strategy if you want, if you want to continue in future. Where I think it's going to go? Well, it's it's a very tough question, isn't it? Um, at the minute, interest rates are very low. Um, they're probably only going to get higher, which might force a few people out, which might make some deals in themselves. Um, if the, if someone's got into property the wrong ways on borrowing on borrowing, and and they might not be able to afford higher interest rates. Um, so I think you've got you've got to make sure that your deals have got a fair amount of profit a fair amount of margin in them um, for these kind of circumstances and it, it's hard the, the government's trying to turn it over to that they want people to buy their own properties and they want it to be fair to buy their own properties because they're blaming landlords that they're the reason to why prices have excelled so much and in an aspect it might be true but oh, at the same time it's just general inflation and um, you could say that about anything. Food's gone up however many percent since people. So, okay, then that's the supermarket's fault. <laughs> you, I mean, you can point fingers all you want, but it's hard. I think we're changing, to be honest. My my personal aspect, and I'll, I'll just brief it off here, is that I think that the way things are going, we're a nation that now likes to rent and lease. Mm -hmm. You look at, 10 years ago or 20 years ago everybody wanted to buy their own cars everybody wanted to buy their own property mm. they wanted to buy every, everything everything they wanted to own we're now getting into this new economic way of thinking about leasing and renting so we now rent a lot of our houses we lease our cars um, you hear millionaires that rather than buying these planes and boats that cost them millions and millions a year they just lease them when they want them yeah um and I think we're going to do that in property. I think we're going to turn over to, I think it's Germany that some, it's something like 60% of people rent over there. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to happen over here. I don't think there's necessarily a problem with it. Um, if you want to own your own property, that's, that's great. And there's certain ways of going about it. Um, if you want to do it enough, you'll find a way. Yeah. No, that's, that's very interesting. And yeah, when I was in Berlin, actually, I was speaking to 
quite a few people there and they were saying yeah we do not want to buy our own house we want the flexibility we want to move around we don't want to have to put all our cash in for a deposit and stuff so it's kind of yeah an interesting yeah, european um perspective it is it's funny it's, it's almost the complete opposite to us we're, we're, yeah. we're trying to buy as much as possible and they're going no take it back we don't want it yeah so <laughs> yeah an, an interesting market ahead for sure so my last few questions are going to be quick fire so yeah call it a three by three or a three times three round so the first three is i want to know and this is like literally sort of one sentence kind of answers just for people bish bosh bash what it, what are your biggest three mistakes that you've made in property investment Ooh, okay um waiting waiting was one of them uh, i feel like i waited too long to get started mm -hmm. uh, number number two would probably letting other people around me influence me mm -hmm. uh, negatively um and number three would just be not not networking enough um, yeah. in my early days not not going out and finding people and shouting out that i'm i'm in property and i want investment yeah okay and then what are your top three goals for the next sort of five years my, uh, mine would be I'd, i want to double my businesses mm -hmm. um, in terms of in terms of the profit we're making um i would like to do number two would be i'd like to do a lot more property um I'd like to potentially do, I'd love to do six. Over the next year, I would love to do six more deals. Mm -hmm. um, and number three is just to socialize and meet more people. I'd love to, if I could, not quite double, but it would be a great way to look at it, double my reach as such. Good. Well, I hope um, I hope this podcast helps you, you know, double your reach and get, and get further. So, um yeah, hopefully I can help with that kind of um, third point. Um, and and now going back to your part with estate agents, you obviously have great relationships with them. What are your top three tips for making and maintaining these relationships? Okay, so I mean, one of them would just be, I would first start out with going to one that you think you're not going to use. Mm -hmm. Just because you need to get their nervous jitters out of the way. Yeah. Um, that, that people do and just understand how the how the whole thing works that would be my first tip the second tip would be once you've once you've got that done go to the one that you want to use and just go in be honest with what you're doing um there's, there's no need to lie to them i would go in and just say look i mean i'm getting into property i'm investing um i've got investors out there that i'm going to be looking at properties with and go from there um and the third, the third thing would just be to really socialize, not not socialize as in taking them out for drinks and stuff, but just be frequent, pop in there every so often, even with just a pack of biscuits, just say hello, um, ask if they've got anything new, stuff like that, and just do as many viewings as you can. Not, not, with, not with wasting their time as such, so don't do things that you don't think are, are going to be a viable option, but... There's no need to go and look at a two million pound house if you know that you, you're never going to be able to do anything with it. But get in there, get the process done, and just get used to the process. Because the more you become fluent in it, the better and easier it becomes. Excellent. Really, really good tips. Thanks so much for those. I mean, I think, you know, from recording this podcast with you, I've learned a lot myself, and it's given me, you know, food for thought. And I know that 
all the other people listening who are like me and, and new to this are going to learn a lot from you. So, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And, um, no, no. you know, what, how, if people wanted to invest with you or to talk to you or to network, what are your contact details? And I'll, I'll put them in the show notes too, but if you just tell everyone, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, on Facebook, um, you can get me under, he's just Richard Goddard. Is that under? I might be Rich, actually. I think it's Rich Goddard. Um, or I'm on LinkedIn under Richard Goddard. You'll find me and I've got, I'm on there and I think it, my business will be down as the payroll, as Cumbria Payroll Services. So, I mean, any one of them, uh, you can get me on. Perfect. Well, look, Rich, thanks so, so much for your time. Um, and yeah, hopefully you can get you back on the Tej Talks podcast in a couple of years and, and see if those goals have no not if see when those goals have been hit yeah exactly mindset positive mindset <laughs> it's, it's when they happen for sure if you like this podcast connect with tej on facebook linkedin and youtube for more great content